you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy our brother. To the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You must also help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Well, it is wonderful to be with you. A very special greeting if you're new or visiting. If we haven't met, my name is Guy, and it's my joy and privilege to serve uh, as the pastor of City on a Hill, a church committed to knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. And so wonderful to join you the weekend after Easter, uh, an incredible uh, weekend of celebration for God's people at City on Hill and indeed across uh, the globe. Uh, here at City on a Hill, we got to enter the waters of baptism, believe it or not, with over 30 men and women across all of our churches, which is just a huge, yeah, a huge answer to prayer. Uh, praise the Lord for that. Uh, we also got to proclaim, uh, we hosted, get this, 31 services across all of our uh, churches. The gospel went out. We saw people uh, respond to the gospel and put their trust in Jesus for the first time, which is just amazing. And so a big thanks to everybody who was able to join us, who brought family and friends, and a special thanks uh, to the many, many volunteers who work, uh, who serve, and do that generously and sacrificially to help us know Jesus and make Jesus known. So can we just thank the Lord for them uh, and their generosity in that. Uh, Well, tonight uh, we start a new series looking at Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. And I've named the series Jars of Clay, which is this image that Paul himself uses to describe who we are in Jesus and what we now have in Him. In his words, we have treasures in jars of clay. We have treasure, I should say, treasure in jars of clay. And it's this compelling image, a compelling image that speaks of our futility and our weakness but also speaks to our hope and indeed our life. Uh, A few years ago, I walked through a very difficult season of personal struggle and self-doubt. I came face to face uh, with sin in my life and felt pressed in on every side. I I couldn't eat for days. Uh, My mind was running in overdrive with self-doubt and uh, self-condemnation. There were things said about me and to me that were deeply uh, hurtful. I felt frustrated. I felt confused. I felt alone. And if there was one word to summarize that uh, 
season in my life, it would be the word broken. It, it, it truly felt like all of the pieces of my life had been shattered and scattered on the floor. And, and if I'm being perfectly honest with you, I didn't even know how to bring these pieces back together. And I remember walking uh, through uh, a park. Uh, it was a winter's day, it was cold, and I was just out there to kind of clear my head. And I received a call from a friend who was reaching out um, to offer some support and comfort and encouragement. And, and, and she was very kind in uh, affirming who I was in Christ and, and, and what really matters in life. And she wasn't there kind of pointing the finger or judging or anything like that. And what I really valued is that she understood the sense of brokenness and despair that I was in. Um, but she spoke some really helpful and profound words of hope. She says, Guy, are you familiar with the Japanese art uh, Kintsugi? And at the time I said, no, I'd never actually heard about it before. And she says, it's this Japanese art where they take broken pieces and put it back together. And it turns out this practice has been going on for 400 years. And then she follows it up and says, you know what they use to, to put it back together? It says, Gold. They use gold. They take powdered gold, mix it with a resin glue, and the gold is what is used to hold and bring that clay, that pot back together. And it's built on this idea that uh, we should embrace our imperfections. Uh, these breaks in our life are a part of our story. And as the Apostle Paul will go on to say in his letter, we shouldn't try and hide these things or conceal these breaks but instead boast in our weaknesses. We should boast in our weaknesses. And what uh, Kintsugi seeks to show is that by embracing your imperfections, you can actually create uh, something stronger and more beautiful. You can make something stronger and more beautiful. And that is true for this jar of clay, but equally it's, it's true for us all. Um, I've been pastoring now for... Oh, over 15 years. And I've come to realize that no one walks through planet Earth unscathed. I've come to realize that we all find ourselves in seasons of profound brokenness. You yourselves know the pain of a broken heart. Perhaps you've experienced a breakdown in a relationship. Perhaps some people have said some things about you that were deeply hurtful. Maybe you said some things or did some things to someone you cared about that was hurtful. Whether it was choices that you made or circumstances beyond our control, we've, we've all been in a situation where it feels like the pieces of our life have fallen to the ground. But like this piece of art, I, I want you to know that in God, in Christ, God promises to repair the brokenness of our lives, to restore them. And in the process, get this, He can make you stronger and He can make you more beautiful. My hope throughout this sermon series is that you would be encouraged to look to God in the midst of your brokenness and to entrust the pieces of your life to Him. And that in Him we can each learn that there is in fact power in weakness. There is treasure in this jar of clay. So, to begin, I want to encourage you to grab a Bible and turn with me. We're going to be in the New Testament uh, in a letter called Second Corinthians. And if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Feel free to peer on the shoulder of the person next to you. Otherwise, we've got the words on the screen above. So, beginning in verse 1, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're new to Christianity, you may be asking the question, well, who is this Paul guy? Who is this one writing the letter? Well, interestingly, Paul has quite the backstory. <laughs> uh, he actually was kind of like this high, uh, high up religious leader kind of, uh, who was known for his uh, both discipline to the religious law, but also his persecution against Christians. He despised the early church, and yet his life was radically transformed after an encounter with the risen Jesus. 
Right? He, he, fe- he faces Jesus, he meets Jesus, and his life completely changes. He goes from this chief persecutor of the early church to this pioneering uh, church planter, church leader, church preacher. And, and one of the churches that Paul was involved in starting uh, gathered in a city called Corinth. Now, Corinth was uh, in Greece, and it was located about 70 or so kilometers from Athens, and was this major, thriving hub of activity. It was actually kind of like a port city, uh, located near the water, and so it was kind of like a lot of trade and economic growth went through. It was a very prosperous city. Uh, If you think of kind of like the Paris end of Collins Street, uh, the people in Corinth were known for their high fashion and their affluent lifestyle. Uh, It was also an incredibly diverse city, Uh, much like walking through, I don't know, Swanston Street on a busy weekend. uh, Corinth, because of all the boats and the traffic coming in and out, was an incredibly multicultural and diverse city. People of all different walks of life were there. Uh, The other thing to say about it is that they were uh, known for their progressive views and their loose living. Right, so incredibly affluent, and they were kind of people who just throw themselves at the world. In fact, the Greeks uh, coined a phrase known as, uh, which, which they said was, to, to live as a Corinthian, was the phrase, to live as a Corinthian, which is a way of summing up anybody who really kind of uh, went out drinking and sleeping around and all of those things. The other point to make about Corinth is, uh, with all the various different nations, all the different people there, there was a plethora of different gods and different worldviews. Uh, one of the most notable um, temples in Corinth was the temple for the goddess Aphrodite, goddess of love and, and beauty. And so historians will tell you that boats would dock in Corinth, visitors would come out, sailors would come out, and they would then climb this steep hill to the temple of Aphrodite where they would be met Uh, by hundreds of young temple prostitutes who would work around the clock to pay homage to their God. Right, so piece this together now. You've got this prosperous, diverse, progressive city, this affluent city, and in the midst of all of that, you've got these new-ish Christians trying to work out what it means to be faithful to Jesus. Right? And so already I hope you can see that there's connection with their story and our story. We are talking about a distance in time here, but you and I know we're living in a very progressive city, an affluent city, a city with so many different worldviews, so many different idols. And here we are, some of us have been Christians for a long time, some of us are newish Christians, but we're all trying to work out what does it mean to follow Jesus. And so here is Paul uh, seeking to shepherd the early church and help them navigate their life in this city. And he's actually responding to various questions and situations that are taking place. We're going to unpack that throughout this series. But it's perhaps no surprise that he begins with a particular word about adversity and suffering. He's going to help Christians. I mean, this is a very affluent prosperous city, but he wants to kind of press in here and help them unpack and consider the challenges of adversity and suffering. So, beginning in verse 3, note these words. He says, "'Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our…' What's that word? "'Affliction.'" so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we shall share abundantly in comfort too. So, by show of hands, how many of you know that being a Christian doesn't make life easy? Right? Hardship comes with the call. Being a Christian, let me be clear here, does make your life significantly better and infinitely more meaningful, but it doesn't make it easy. Being a follower of Jesus is difficult. Being a follower of Jesus is hard. As Paul says, there is affliction. Now, in the ancient uh, Greek text, that word affliction, it speaks of intense pressure. It speaks of intense 
pressure. The image that comes to mind is of a boulder, you know, at a wrecking yard crashing down on a used car. It's just beating it and beating it and beating it until the car is no more. Right? This is the affliction that Paul is aware that the church face. Some of you have been to uh, I've been told that Christianity leads to an easy and comfortable life. Uh, some of you have listened to superficial teachers and ignorant Christians who hold up the blessing of God so highly, there is no room for struggle or pain in your life. But according to Paul, according to Jesus, according to pretty much anyone else you'll read about in the Bible, affliction sits at the heart of our faith. Affliction sits at the heart of our life and indeed our call. In the end, note this, suffering suffering isn't a sign that you lack faith, sometimes suffering is a sign of your faith. Think about the guy who's writing this letter for just a moment. Who is the Apostle Paul? Well, at one hand, we can say he is a mighty man of God, right? Set apart by Jesus Himself. Uh, We could point to the many churches he planted. Uh, He was clearly filled with the Holy Spirit and witnessed, didn't he? Many miracles, many hundred thousands, countless numbers of people who gave their life to Jesus. Clearly, this is a man of faith. Did he have an easy, comfortable life? A life of health, wealth, and prosperity? Did he experience what Joel Osteen calls a your best life now? Heck no. Right? Check out this Insta reel from his uh, missionary travels. Sums up his journey like this. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once stoned. Three times shipwrecked. And night and day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers and rivers. Danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Uh, If there were Google reviews for the Christian journey, Paul gives it one star, one star. It's rough. Are you in Jesus today? Did you arise this morning and say, I'm going to pick up my cross and follow Jesus? You need to buckle yourself up. There will be challenge. You'll face opposition. There will be moments where it feels like life is just beating you down. But in the midst of this affliction, did you hear the other word that Paul is so eager for you to know? What was the one word that he repeats over and over again in our text? Could someone yell it out for me? Comfort. Comfort. He's desperate for you to know comfort. Check this out. Blessed be the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Not just some of your affliction, in all of our affliction. What does the Bible mean when it talks about comfort? Comfort is more than a warm cup of Milo. It's more than a nice pat on the back. When the Bible talks about comfort, it is talking of um, encouragement, Uh, to lift up, Uh, it's to inspire courage. It's not a promise to take affliction away, but to be strength and encouragement in the midst of affliction. Uh, It's the mother who embraces her young daughter after school who's just had a terrible day and she's there to enter in. She's there to bind up the wounds, to embrace. Uh, It's the dad on the side of the sporting field, cheering on his young daughter or a young son, not just in moments of victory, but cheering and encouraging, even in moments of failure and defeat. Uh, 
Uh, it's the best mate who's prepared to pick up the phone and listen to the hardship and difficulty that their friend is going through. And not once do they roll their eyes, not once do they cut them off, not once do they point the finger. They are there to encourage and support. Uh, it's the brother, the sister, who, who will love you, not just at your best, but will love you even still at your worst. So what is Paul telling the early church? What does he want you and I to know today? He's telling you that no matter the affliction you face, you have in God your comfort. He is there. Um, You're never alone. You know that? Do you know that as a Christian, you are never alone? You are never out there fighting your own battles, trying to win your own war? No, in all our afflictions, even when life is beating you down, God is faithful, God is present, God is there, and He is there to be your comforter, your counsellor. This week, I was reading the remarkable words of um, Martin Luther King, and uh, of course, many of you know him uh, for his pioneering work and fight for justice. An incredible legacy when you consider all that he stood up for and all that he did. And yet you'll also know that um, it was challenging to stand up for righteousness, to stand up for truth is, is challenging. And, and I really love this honest, heartfelt um, testimony that he shares of one particular season of affliction. He says, after the Montgomery bus protest had been undertaken, we began to receive threatening phone calls and letters. At first, I took them in my stride, but as the weeks passed, I realized that many of the threats were in earnest. I felt myself growing in fear. After a particularly strenuous day, I settled in bed at a late hour when the telephone rang. An angry voice said, listen, blank, we've taken all we want from you. Before next week, you'll be sorry you ever came to Montgomery. I could not sleep. It seemed that all my fears had come down on me at once. I was ready to give up. In this state of exhaustion, when my courage had almost gone, I determined to take my problem to God. I bowed and prayed aloud. I'm here taking a stand for what I believe is right, but now I am afraid. The people are looking to me for leadership, and if I stand before them without strength and courage, they too will falter. I am at the end of my powers. I've come to the point where I can't face it alone. At that moment, I experienced the presence of the divine as I had never experienced before. It seemed as though I heard an inner voice saying, stand up for righteousness, stand up for truth. God will be at your side forever. Almost at once, my fears began to pass from me. The outer situation remained the same, but God had given me inner calm. Three nights later, our home was bombed. Strangely enough, I accepted the word of the bombing calmly. My experience with God had given me new strength and trust. I knew now that God is able to give us the interior resources to face the storms of life. It's remarkable, isn't it? Sometimes God delivers us by taking the adversity away. Other times, the bombs keep coming. But through it all, we don't give in we don't give up. We stand for truth. We stand for righteousness. And we stand in the courage and confidence that God is there. God is by your side. Whatever you are going through right now in Jesus, God is there. He is our counselor and our comfort. Look then to what Paul says next. He says, Blessed be the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our, all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now note this, because this is a very important verse for us at City on a Hill. Here, Paul is helping you see that one of the ways that God mediates His comfort to us and to the church is through the arms of the church. Let me say that again. One of the ways God mediates His comfort to us is through the arms of the church. 
right? So just think about that for a moment. The church isn't just a gathering for like-minded people. The church isn't just a club that you sign up for. It's certainly not a concert. We are the body of Christ. You are the hands and feet of Jesus. Right, really quickly, just give a high five to the person next to you. There we go. You just got a high five from the hands of Jesus. And listen, what we see in this text, what we're being urged to right now, is to take those hands, the hands of Jesus, and extend them to our world and offer the comfort of God. You have received comfort in God. You have received His life. And we are now to take those hands to serve those in their hour of need. Uh, Paul, it was great to see you interviewed up the front tonight. Uh, I'm a big fan of Paul Connolly. I hope you know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, you get him. Woos, look at this. Um, and uh, Paul's been part of City on a Hill um, for just probably over, I don't know, 10 years now, uh, married to, to Liz, and they're just a, an amazing couple for, for the gospel. And um, uh, he's recently joined the team, and I loved uh, sitting with Paul earlier this year uh, with our staff as you were just sharing a little bit about your heart and, and how you came uh, to faith in Jesus. And it was so stirring and so encouraging because Paul he grew up in Hillsville with a family uh, that didn't go to church, um, uh, wouldn't have considered themselves Christians. And um, he recalls a season in his childhood uh, where his mother was unwell and uh, ended up in hospital for like two months. And you just imagine as a young boy what it would be like to have your mom in hospital for that amount of time, the uncertainty, the concern in that moment. It's a difficult, difficult season. But uh, something unexpected happened. News of his mother's health reached some of the people in the church. Uh, and the church, who at this point had no connection to Paul or his family, decided to extend the hand of comfort and compassion and do something to care in the midst of their affliction. They visited his mom in hospital. They brought meals for the family. They prayed for them. They checked in with the dad. They uh, cared for the kids. What had they done? They were the hands and feet of Jesus. And you know what's really encouraging? Paul says that as a result of their compassion, as a result of their comfort, once his mom was healed and, and, and back to home, she was so touched by their comfort, she decided to take them along to that very church. She grabbed the, the two boys, two boys? Yeah, the two boys, and then again down the track, the, the, the dad, and brought them along to church. And today, guess what? The whole family is loving, worshipping Jesus. Yeah, praise God for that, right? Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing when, when you consider something that might be seemingly small and just quite practical and obvious? Like, isn't it amazing how God can use something like that to transform a life, a family, a generation? Like, let's be honest, we sometimes suck at this, the comfort bit, right? We, we sometimes fall short of this. I've fallen short of this. I don't always know what to do when someone's struggling. Like, I think we're all in the same boat in that area. Sometimes we don't get this right, but isn't it beautiful when we do? Isn't it amazing when someone cares? Isn't it great when you can have a go and you encourage someone, bless someone? And listen, City on a Hill, um, I hope this is more than just a, theoretic, a theoretical point. Let's take the theory that we're hearing right now and make it practical. What if we were to live and breathe this message? Is there someone, like think about it with, you, with me right now, is there someone in your life, your family, your neighborhood, your network, your university, who's struggling right now? Okay? Who are we in that moment? How might I be the hands and feet of Jesus? Can I write them a note just to affirm who they are and their value to me? Could I pray for them? Maybe could I organize a meal or an Uber voucher or like what... Could I get some other of my mates together? Maybe in my gospel community. Maybe we can come up with some creative ideas to just meet them with love. Right? Again, this, is, this can be challenging. Sometimes I've thought, oh, I, I best just leave them to kind of, you know, and I think, you know, I'm not sure what to do, so I just hang back. And that's often the wrong thing to do. Actually, it's good to love people and to try. 
right? The point here is that we try something. So many different things we could do. Just try something to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Look then to verse 6. Paul says, If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, with which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you also share in our comfort. I don't know about you, but when I first read that, I was like, wow, this is hard to make sense. Sometimes Paul's writing is a bit like that. It's hard to know exactly what he's trying to say and how he's piecing it all together. So I think I've read this now about 10 times, and it's important. It's complex, so you're going to have to think with me, but it's important. A few things just to note to unpack this together. Um, For a start, when Paul uses the pronoun we, he's not talking about the collective church at this moment. When he's saying we, he's talking about himself and Timothy and probably the other apostles, right? And and he's referring to um, their responsibility to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus, to contend and defend the faith and to plant churches. And yet, as we've already noted, Paul and the other apostles experienced severe affliction. They loved proclaiming the good news of Jesus, and yet they knew that it came with hardship and challenge and persecution. But this is where the rubber hits the road, and you really need to listen into this. In Corinth, there were some in the church who felt that Paul's suffering and hardship actually discredited his ministry and role as an apostle. Because he was poor, because he was homeless, because he was under constant persecution. And so once uh, Corinthians were exposed to more wealthy and impressive leaders, they started to think less of Paul, right? Remember, they're living in this very affluent culture, a very prosperous culture. And so when they're looking at Paul with his raggedy clothes and he's beaten down, he's got bruises and he's fumbling around... They actually became ashamed of him. And so how does Paul respond? By showing that suffering is not opposed to salvation. No, our suffering is intrinsic to salvation. Paul's job isn't to be impressive. Paul's job is not to have it all together. Paul's job is to point people to the suffering of Christ. With his words, with his witness, with his trials, with his life, he is pointing people to the salvation of God that has come to us in Christ Jesus. How did God's salvation come to us? In a nice, pretty bow? No. No, it came in Christ, the Word made flesh. It was torn apart, ripped apart. The bloody, bruised, beaten Christ, nailed, hanging, limp on a tree. That is your Savior. That is your salvation. Jesus was afflicted. Jesus was beaten down. And in His suffering, we find our salvation. And so Paul presses it to help them see that in this salvation and their suffering, there is comfort. He says, next verse, we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. What had Paul experienced in his pain? What had the endless days in a cold, lonely, dark cell taught him about life and God, he learnt a renewed and deep appreciation for God's faithfulness. He learnt a renewed and deep appreciation for God's goodness. In the midst of affliction and brokenness, he discovered beauty. In the midst of his own weakness, he found power. In the midst of his daily death, there he found life. We actually celebrated this last week, didn't we, with our Easter baptisms. Uh, I love this photo. Uh, It's like a photo from heaven, looking down as people enter into the waters of baptism. 
um, baptism, baptism isn't just a rite of passage, it isn't just something that Christians do because they're Christians, they get baptized, no. You know what baptism is? <clears throat> it is a declaration, a public and personal and prophetic declaration, listen, of our union with Christ. We enter the waters and immerse into the waters to declare our union in the death of Jesus. Spiritually, relationally, we eternally, we die. And think about what actually takes place for the person being baptized in that moment. In that moment, they lose their footing. In that moment, they can no longer breathe. Their sight becomes blurry. They can't hear. The, the noises of the world become close and silent. And yet, in Christ, we not only celebrate the union of our suffering and our death, but indeed His resurrection and His life. And so, all of a sudden, we find our feet again. All of a sudden, you can see again. All of a sudden, you can hear again. And the people on the shore just rejoice. I love that moment as the pastor in the water hearing the celebration. What are we celebrating in that moment? We're celebrating that in death there is life. We're celebrating that in Jesus we've been raised to new life. It doesn't mark the end of our suffering. There is a daily death for those of you who are in Jesus, a daily putting to death the ways of this world and the old man. But in Jesus, we are born again, a new creation to a new life. Look then to verse 8. Paul says, We do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Here, Paul is referring to what happened while he was on his ministry journey in Asia, and he's bringing their attention to the hardship that he had personally experienced. And he's doing this, isn't he? Because it appears that the church in Corinth are not aware of the cost, the personal cost that he had suffered. He was suffering and they weren't aware, and so he's sharing this with them. And I think this is something we tend to forget. When it comes to hardship in life, we, we have a very limited view of what other people are going through. We don't tend to appreciate that there are people around us, in our life, in our homes, in our church, who are suffering, who are going through difficult seasons. I love this quote by David Foster Wallace. Uh, I found it to be very helpful. He says, the next suitable person you're in light conversation with, stop suddenly in the middle of the conversation and look at the person closely and say, what's wrong? You say it in a concerned way, he'll say, what do you mean? You say, something's wrong, I can tell, what is it? And he'll look stunned and say, how did you know? He doesn't realise something's always wrong with everybody, often more than one thing. Life is brutal. You know, life is tragic and hard. I mean, there are great things about life, wonderful things. Friday night, um, I was out um, State Library uh, dancing, there's a wedding celebration, couple from our church, beautiful, amazing. I think as a pastor, I get this front row seat to so many beautiful moments in life. Let's go to weddings and celebrate this and birth of a child, like there's so many great things. But as a pastor, you also get a front row to the difficult things, the suffering and the sadness and the brutality of life. I remember um, this one particular uh, tragic moment, and quite early on in my ministry, uh, there was a young boy um, and his brother uh, went to our church, and he'd moved, um, he'd moved to, to Melbourne uh, for study, and Yet sadly, he, he found himself in this very despairing place, dark place, and, and he couldn't get out of it. And uh, the day of this young boy's funeral arrived, and I remember it like yesterday, a very small chapel, and the only people who were present that day for his funeral was his mum, his brother, and his landlord. 
And it just broke me inside to think about that and to see that. And then to be out there by the water's edge with his mum as she poured in the ashes of her own son into the water and then to watch as she desperately sought to lunge after those ashes as if to bring them back. Life is brutal. Life is hard. Some of you grew up in very difficult homes. Some of you have had painful relationships marked by manipulation and abuse. Some of you have had those you care about die unexpectedly. Some of you have had the pain of seeing someone you love die slowly. Some of you were mistreated by someone you cared about. Some of you mistreated those you care about. You're now riddled with the anger and the frustration and the condemnation in that. Some of you have been wounded deeply by an unfair and cruel world. Some of you struggle with anxiety. Um, You want desperately to to breathe, and yet every day you feel a sense of self-condemnation and a beating down. On this side of heaven, we are all going to arrive at places like the Apostle Paul, where we are utterly burdened beyond our strength to the point that we despise life itself. But do you notice with Paul that in his despairing, there is never an ultimate defeat? Do you notice that even though the world can become so painfully dark, Paul has a way of seeing light? Look at this, he says, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. For Paul, listen, there is no such thing as a wasted suffering. There is significance in every story. There is purpose in every pain. Yes, he grieves the affliction Yes, he laments deeply over the pain and the suffering, but in the midst of that pain, he knows with great confidence that God is there. He knows that God will never leave him. He knows that God, in his mercy and kindness, is actually going to use the difficult things in life to strip away our pride and deepen our dependence upon God. Right? God works all things for the good of those who love Him. Sometimes we interpret the good as a comfortable and easy life. That's not what the Bible is saying. Your good is to be fashioned into the image and likeness of Jesus. And for that to happen, you must walk into the road of suffering. This, listen, this is the paradox of the Christian life. To be lifted up, you must be first brought down. To be built up, you have to be broken. Jars of clay are made under intense pressure. In Christ, the true and abundant life that we all so desperately want comes through death. I mentioned earlier about my own season of struggle, and in the early weeks, I had felt not only that things had fallen apart, that there was a, a funeral of death over many aspects of my life, friendship and job and church and pride and all of these things. But through this, I discovered the faithfulness in God. 
I discovered the goodness of God. I discovered that you can truly actually walk into the valley of the shadow of death and you will find Him there. And He wants to meet you there. He'll embrace you there. And He'll embrace you with a love that not just strip away the things of this world, but that will actually transform you from the inside out. Learn to depend on Him in new ways. Learn to seek Him in new ways. Do I like seasons of difficulty and affliction? Do any of us want hardship? Does anyone open the door to suffering with a smile? Of course not. Paul laments pain and suffering, but he also knows that there is life in death. That's why he rejoices in suffering. Finally, Paul says this, He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. Amidst the hardship, we who are in Christ have hope that He will deliver us again. And please note the certainty of that hope. You see it in your text before you? Paul doesn't say, on Him we have set our hope that He might deliver us again, or that it would be really, really, really nice if He delivered us again. No, that He will deliver us again. Isaiah said, none can thwart the will of God. His will is secure. What the Lord wills, He will bring to pass. And so our hope this evening is secure. Your hope in this eternal deliverance is secure right now. I love this imagery in Revelation where it talks about the end and John sees God and he hears the words and he, the Lord says in the last day that He will wipe away our every tear. And I love that because it teaches us that on the day of the end where we've walked the road of world and we stand before God, there will be tears. There will be hardship. There will be scars on our bodies, wounds in our hearts. There will be tears. But as a loving, perfect Father, a righteous Father, God is there to comfort you. God is there to hold you. God is there to heal those deep, deep wounds. God is there to wipe away your every tear. There are things happening in your life right now. There are things you've been through that maybe nobody else knows. God sees you. God knows the pain. In Jesus, we see that He weeps over our affliction and He promises He promises to love you, to comfort you, to somehow take all of these bad things and make them good, to make all things new. We're going to respond um, in just a moment uh, by singing together a famous hymn, It Is Well. And uh, I love this hymn. I always find it moving when the church can lift up their voices and sing this song. Uh, And yet many people are unaware of the story that inspired this song. Um, there was a guy named Horatio Spafford who was an, a property investor and actually well-accomplished uh, lawyer in the late 19th century. And he was married to Anna and he had five children. And yet in 1871, uh, he lost his only son to scarlet uh, fever. And after that came the great Chicago fire, uh, which decimated him financially. Everything he'd been working for was gone. And uh, he really could see the pain that was being brought on his family and kind of gathered some dollars together to try and send them on a holiday, to take a family holiday. And so the family travels to New York for a voyage to England. But last minute, 
He gets a call about a business development. He personally had to stay back, and he didn't want to interrupt the family holiday, so he sends his wife and the four daughters on this cruise, on this ship, um, with a promise that he'd, he'd meet them on the other side and he'd, he'd join up. But in the early hours of November 22, 1873, the ship collides with another boat while crossing the Atlantic. The ship sinks in 12 minutes and 260 people drown. Nine days later, Spafford receives a telegram from his wife in Wales. It reads, saved alone. Anna, his wife, had stood bravely on the deck of this ship with her four daughters, but her last memory had been of her babies being torn violently from her arms by the force of these waters. Spafford then got on the first ship to meet his wife, Uh, and he shares how, as he's making this journey, he passes the very waters where his four daughters were taken away. And as he's reflecting on that, he moved into his cabin and he penned these words. When peace like a river attendeth my soul, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Where did Spafford find his comfort? Where will we find the comfort we so desperately need? We find it in God, a gracious God, a powerful God, a God who is with us right now and wants to meet us with His mercy, His grace, His goodness and love. So let's go to Him now in prayer. Would you stand with me? Father, I pray pray right now that uh, you'd meet us with your comfort. For those of us who've walked through a very difficult season of affliction, perhaps for those of us who are in that season right now, would you, would you comfort us? As we sing this song, may this melody be balm to our soul. May you fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we would know you are here, that you are there, you are by our side. And as a church, Lord God, help us to be a people who extend that same comfort to those in our world. Help us, Lord God, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Help us to shine His light that the world would know that You are good. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.